Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. In this episode, I'm joined by Stuart McLennan, a lifelong resident of the UK's Lake District and dedicated landscape photographer, as he shares his intimate knowledge of the region's landscape. Stuart discusses his path into full-time photography, distinguishing personal and commercial work. We explore insights on educational platforms like YouTube, the challenges of running a photo gallery, and the importance of market understanding. We also discuss Stuart's preferences in subjects, his reflections on the future of photography in the AI era, and the creative impact of weather conditions. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Stuart. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Um, not so bad. Not so bad, mate. Before we get going, we yep. didn't discuss this before. I just want to draw attention to this jumper because people watching this will probably think, what the hell is he wearing? <laughs> I actually class this as my studio, but um, it, it's basically a, a big basement area of the house and there's no central heating in here. And obviously with being winter in the UK, it's pretty pretty nippy at the minute. Uh, so whenever I come down here, it's it's pretty cold. So this sort of sheep looking thing is the... Uh, the best thing I can find at the minute. Oh, but it's doing the job anyways. As long as it does the job, I think it's a good look, mate. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, what does photography mean to you? Where did the spark come from? What got you started? What's it mean to me? Uh, I think initially, probably not so much now, but initially it was escapism. Now, I know that's probably not the most original answer, I would say, but it's very to my situation in that I, I got started in photography almost by accident a little bit. I don't have a, a kind of storied background of 20 years of shooting film and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came to, to photography pretty much by accident. I was going through quite a difficult period in my life about eight, nine years ago now, where I was in a pretty, I wouldn't say dead-end job, but a, a job that paid well but drove me mad and yep. had very poor sort of work, work-life balance yep. and also is 11 now, but a young son at the time who was going through a, a diagnosis for autism. Mm-hmm. And I ended up stumbling into photography by chance a little bit, mainly as a escape route, because I, I started doing sort of mountain photography, bell walking, mountain walking, and uh, hiking. Yep. And and I just stumbled into taking pictures while I was on those hikes, which again, isn't probably a the most original answer, but it's how I ended up getting started. Uh, I, I only took up the, the hiking really as an alternative to doing sort of hobbies and activities that I'd done in the past. I, I grew up uh, doing an awful lot of competitive sports, quite a high level, and anything creative wasn't ever really on the radar. So when I got into hiking, I wanted to do something that was just completely removed from anything competitive, and yeah. getting out on your own up the mountain seemed like the best way to that. So anyway, the photography kind of came as a bit of a byproduct of that. I started taking pictures on my phone and then progressed to getting a better camera and very quickly decided that I wasn't probably partly linked to 
doing a lot of competitive sport when I was younger was that I, I was very quickly not happy with just taking snapshots of things. I wanted to actually see if I could improve these pictures. So yeah, I guess photography in in the early part especially was escapism for me. And it's, it still is to an extent, although obviously I, I do it full time as a job now. Yeah. So the meaning of it has changed a little bit. But I would say at the root of it is escapism. Mm, okay. And you talked a little bit about that wanting to improve. Was that where you started to think about it as a form of artistic expression and something that you wanted to express yourself in? Or was it still just trying to improve the quality of the image and the quality of the documentation of the, the environment that you were seeing? Probably a bit of both. I think on a conscious level, the the kind of just the the nuts and bolts of learning it take take a decent picture was there, but I would say probably subconsciously, yeah, I think there was probably an artistic side of it that I, I perhaps wanted to get out. Certainly in them early days, where you know I definitely felt going out up into the hills and getting away from it all was, as I say, that escape element of it, and the taking pictures was probably my way of, of getting out some of the, I guess, some of the stress and some of the, the things that I was feeling at the time. So probably yeah. actively in my mind, not thinking about that, but I think on a subconscious level, yeah, definitely it was, it was probably part of it, I think. Yeah, okay. And what motivates you now, obviously turning it into your job, there's the financial aspect of it, but clearly there's um, an artistic motivation behind it. What is that? What does that look like for you? I think I'm very fortunate in that uh, I'm, I, I live in probably one of the, the most photogenic areas in the world, in the in the Lake District, and um, I have this abundance of, of beautiful landscapes on on my doorstep. And I think going back to what I was saying about doing competitive sport when I was younger, I had all that on my on my doorstep, but I just completely neglected yeah. it. I had literally no interest in it at all. But I actually used to make a little bit of a joke about it in that because we live, I live in a sort of semi-rural area, to get to any of the major, I, I know this is a long-winded way of answering this, but uh, to get to any of the major motor, motorway networks, you have to drive about an hour and a half just to get out of the mountains, basically. Yeah. And I used to joke that I wish they would just, drill a tunnel through them like they do in Switzerland so you could get to the motorway <laughs> quicker. Um, but yeah, have, having all that on my doorstep and then and having I just neglected it all my life, I guess now it's a case of wanting to just really embrace that and catch up with lost time a little bit in, mm. in some way. So yeah, that continues to motivate me now, even with doing it as a job in that I, I'm just, without wanting to get too sort of romantic about it, fell in love with my local area all over again. And yeah. that's what keeps driving me forward with my photography is, is trying to find new takes, new angles, new areas of the Lake District that uh, that I've not done before. And it's a relatively small area, so even though on the map it looks quite tight and, and contained, there's so much still to explore with it. So, yeah, I guess, I guess just falling in love, in love with your local landscape probably yeah. drives me forward. I guess having all of those iconic 
locations on your doorstep, do you ever get the feeling of wanting to bust out of that? Or are you, you mentioned that there's still plenty to explore. Is, is there any desire, though, to get out and about and do other things? I think when I started, probably like a lot of landscape photographers, you see all these epic locations on oh. social media and you want to go and explore them. And I did a little bit of that for a relatively short amount of time. I still do a bit of travelling now, but not a great deal for someone mm-hmm. probably in my position. But if anything, it's actually probably gone the other way. I actually find my desire to go... If if what you're asking is shooting different places, but my kind of desire to do that is actually even less now because the more I visit some of those other places, I've just been to... Usually in the winter, I go to Scotland sort of two or three times and run workshops up there. And, yeah, sure. But every time I go there, I'm always reminded that unless you can... It's just my opinion, but if you unless you can really spend an awful lot of time there and immerse yourself into that landscape and get to know it intimately, very hard to build up a, a sort of really unique, compelling body of work. You, you end up inevitably going to the same places that everyone else does, even if you're trying to put your own spin on it or whatever. Yeah. And that really does nothing for me. It, it, for the first sort of year or so of exploring landscapes and stuff, I was intrigued by some of that but very quickly I cottoned on to it just it doesn't excite me at all whereas I've got this area that I'm based in in the Lake District which as I said is one of the best places you can photograph anywhere and Mm. there's there's a lot of photographers that will give their right arm to to be based where I am so I almost in a weird kind of way I almost feel a bit responsible that I should be spending most of my time there and so yeah my motivation to just really immerse myself in my local landscape is is probably stronger than ever, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Having visited the Lake District myself, I think you're absolutely right. There's so many nooks and crannies that you can get into. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I I was interested in asking you about is have you ever had any real difficulty finding unique compositions given that there is literally so many places where you can stand and stick a tripod and, and, and get a shot? No, I, would, I wouldn't. It gets, inevitably, it gets a little harder as time goes on because you cover more places. Sure, and sure. As photography gets more popular and with social media and everything now, places are getting a lot more footfall and all of that. But no, I think, to be honest with you, if if you're willing to sort of get off your backside and just go and explore, there's mm. there's plenty out there. You, you don't have to go all that far off the the kind of beaten track, really. Any not just the Lake District, but anywhere to to find something fairly unique. But it does require a level of graft that quite a lot of photographers often aren't willing to put in. But if you like me, and you you're based in that place rather than having to drive to it constantly yeah. then that obviously helps so no certainly don't struggle i would say yeah excellent and where are you on the spectrum of hardcore planning to more spontaneous more spontaneity in your photography are you someone that spends hours and days pouring over your ordinance survey maps to say all right 
if I take this trail, I'll end up there and I'll get this particular shot? Or are you more, okay, I'm out today, there's a path, let's follow it? I'm probably somewhere in the middle of that, to be honest. I'm definitely not a massive planner. I think when I started, you you would really go into a lot of detail of what this particular place is going to look like at this exact time and all of that. And very quick, yeah, very quickly I cottoned on to just, that's a very low percentage approach to photography and um, it didn't really attract me at all. So I I do a bit of planning into, I I like to obviously know the basic things of where the light direction is going to be at a given time and all of that. But in terms of pouring over maps and stuff, I'll, I'll use some things like uh, Google Earth and bits and bobs to check out. If, if it's a if it's a walk out into if it's a fairly big hike, I think it's common sense to put an element of that in. You don't want to completely waste your time walking out sort of three four hours and finding nothing. So you a bit of research helps. But I found as time's gone on, I found that my images. Certainly the quality of them, I think, has improved in just being more reactive to what's there rather than necessarily just having a big sort of structured plan around a shot. It's very rare that I go out with a set shot in mind. And if I do, it's usually because it's something that I actually need to sell in the gallery rather than it being my own work. So I'm not a big planner, I would say. Just the sort of basics of light direction and rough terrain, but I like to just respond to what's in front of me more than anything else, I think. Sorry, I was on mute there. <laughs> All right, sorry, I was going to say, I thought it was me. <laughs> For somebody that hasn't seen your work, how would you describe your style? Style? I consciously don't try. Uh, I think it's probably the best way is to not try to have a style. I think if, no. you, if you do it long enough, you should. A style of your own should just come out and and be there in your work anyway but i guess my approach is more of the i guess the kind of eyewitness approach i've often described it in the past is that i'm actually actively trying to get out of the way of the landscape a little bit i, I do sometimes see a lot especially newer photographers coming into it that they've very heavily influenced by social media and want to create a style for themselves and it, Yep. It's very, I must fit in this box. And I think you should just let that evolve naturally. But for me, I, I just, it's probably a bit of a boring answer, but if I like the look of it, then I'll respond to it. And yeah. I don't really focus too much on the type of subject I'm, for, uh, I'm photographing. It, it could be woodland, it could be a big mountain, whatever it is, it could be something close in. I like it all. I don't tend to focus on one area of landscape photography so I pretty much photograph anything that interests me but in terms of the style I'm really trying to just let the landscape itself do the talking I'm not trying to inject something into it so Mm -hmm. I guess in that sense probably more of just an eyewitness approach yeah okay obviously landscape photography is a very visual communication style you also do quite a bit in your vlogging and so forth how much how much of your success would you attribute to your ability to communicate well that's a good question i've not been i've not been doing youtube 
all that long. YouTube's a, a sort of different thing on its own, but I, I have a lot of experience in, in past things in my life. I've done a lot of sports coaching growing up and going through university, and I've been exposed to a lot of different types of communicators and, and that sort of thing. So I feel like I'm pretty well-rounded in that sense. When it comes to actually getting that across, I, I like to think anyway, I do that pretty well. A huge part, it's probably veering off into a different conversation, but running workshops, especially communication is a huge part of it. And if you can be the best photographer in the world, but if you can't communicate what's in your head and get that across to someone in simple terms, then you, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. Communicate, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. And, but also the visual element of it as well. Your images should communicate something, even if it's a subconscious thing. But, but yeah, big part of it in YouTube going off in that direction. It's I've not been doing YouTube all that long, to be honest. But I've certainly found the transition into doing that a, a little easier than I thought I would. But I think some of the okay. things that I've done in the past with comfortable on a camera and talking to people and getting an idea yeah. across. I think that certainly helps. Yeah, definitely. I want to explore the venture into YouTube. How did that start? What sparked your desire to get into that? I I need to think out how I can answer this diplomatically. <laughs> have to be diplomatic. It's just you and I. Maybe, maybe okay. a couple of hundred um, other people. Yeah. I, listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I was probably one of those photographers that for a long time, knocked youtube a little bit okay. uh, and it's got its flaw it, it's got its flaws it it's it, it does have a lot of flaws and there's there's quite a lot of things i don't like about youtube but hmm. purely from a pragmatic hard-nosed business perspective i think if you're trying to run a landscape photography business in 2023 or 2024 now should i say yep. if you're not embracing youtube or some sort of video in some form i think it's almost probably a bit ne negligent and yep. I was, I could see what was, well, what's been coming with YouTube for a long time, and I, I think I've probably missed the sort of the big wave of it that happened years ago. So in that sense, the the kind of the the money train on YouTube has probably left me a long time ago. But um, but I think it. you need to be, <laughs> yeah. But I think I think if you're doing it full time, I think you you need to be on here to be honest, and it, it's not for everyone. I know a lot of absolutely first-class photographers that probably will never be interested in doing sure. YouTube or probably wouldn't do it very well because they, they can't communicate on a camera. Mm. And for me, I, my motivation was mainly business-orientated, to be honest. It, I, I, can, I think I'm being honest here in saying that if I didn't do landscape uh, photography full-time, I doubt I would do YouTube. Because uh, yeah. as fun as the videos are to do, sometimes uh, I don't, I don't particularly get enjoyment from the video aspect of it. The, the photography. If you watch any of my videos, you've probably picked up on that. I it's very photography centric. I'm not trying to put myself in the in the video and yeah, you know, yeah. make it about me. I'm trying to a bit like the pictures. I'm trying to sort of get out of the way of it. Bluntly, business. I think it's just the way the, the world is now. It's not just photography, it's everything. If you're not embracing some element of video in your business, um, you, you're potentially missing out on quite a, a, 
a big audience and the younger generation of landscape photographers coming up behind us now have grown up with youtube this is where they come to now for all the information yeah. um so yeah it's it's driven by i would say yeah. it's certainly where i learned a lot of my photography the digital photography and certainly editing you know most of my editing comes from I, I did have a little bit of a background with some web development which meant that you got into a little bit of photoshop to play around with some graphics just so they scale correctly and all that sort of thing but yeah i i learned most of my photography skills i think from youtube and i've always said on this podcast it's it's like a university you can pretty much learn anything you want now oh yeah it's as a resource I think it's fantastic and, yeah. and that side of it I've always said whenever anyone's asked my opinion on it I think as a go-to resource for anyone start at whatever level to be honest but there's pretty much anything that you want to find out it's there pretty much isn't yeah. it and it's sorting the weight you know, from the chaff so a little bit there though but yeah and that's it's that's one of the flaws of it isn't it but you've just got yeah. to let the hopefully the audience will do that so i obviously want to uh get into the business side of things but before i do that i'm interested in a little bit more about the, the the work that you've done to build up that set of skills we just talked about using youtube as a, a learning resource what other learning resources have you used to uh bolster your skill set I mean, from for YouTube, I never um, used YouTube from a, a learning perspective. So, much. listen, we're all learning at every level, but I, I certainly didn't use any of YouTube for that. Um, okay. I built up to a point where I could go full time long before kind of YouTube or anything like that. So, sure, my sure. kind of entry into landscape photography and learning was more, I guess. Probably a bit old school now, but I was part of a couple of photography forums in this country. That yep. sadly now, with the advent of things like YouTube and stuff, they died to death a little bit. But even in the relatively short amount of time, and we're only talking like six, seven years here, but the ways you learn now, starting out in landscape photography, completely changed because we're saying about YouTube there. I, I used those forums quite a lot for, yep. for kind yep. of feedback and interaction from people and the kind of the com i don't know what it's like over there for you but in the uk like the kind of landscape photography community was very different back then as well so mm. if you were an aspiring photographer and you wanted to learn there was i think it would be fair to say back then people were a lot more open-minded about giving advice and critique and all of that sort of thing. But it was yeah, yeah. an environment where people could learn together. Whereas now it feels like everyone's their own little Island and everyone's off doing their own thing. And then you've got YouTube and people learn on their own now. Mm. Uh, but yeah, for me, I use forums quite a lot uh, when I started and I, I would post on there and there was a, there was one forum in particular I used called uh, Talk Photography. Okay. And yeah. uh, there, there was a dedicated critique section in there. And you had quite a lot of really well-regarded 
highly skilled landscape photographers that would contribute on there. And it was absolutely brilliant uh, yeah. learning resource that today we, you know, you just in this country anyway, there isn't anything like that anymore. I mean, the, I guess the closest thing you've probably got is maybe things like closed Facebook groups or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Right. But, um, but I would use those a lot. And then I went on two or three workshops when I got started as well. And they were great workshops. Sometimes can get a bit of a bad rep with people, but I'd, I'd certainly recommend people going on workshops and, as good a resource as YouTube is, there's nothing better than actually having the hands-on feedback of a chooser standing on your shoulder looking at what you're doing. So workshops were, were definitely a big part of it as well for me, I think. Yeah. You mentioned the decision to get into full-time. What, I guess, did you put in place to make sure that you were okay when you got started? And you had a financial buffer and so forth to to make sure that you were okay when you uh, kicked off. And how difficult was it to make that decision to go full time? Honestly, I didn't have a financial buffer. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, no, that's ballsy. I, uh, yeah, I get that a lot. People say, "Oh, you're brave for doing that," but uh, I'll be honest with you. I was at a point in my life where I was absolutely miserable with where I was working. I was getting paid well enough, but I was just in an absolutely miserable job. Yeah. And then combined with uh, what was going on with my son at the time, I was just, I think I was just at a point where I was ready to change to any, for anything basically. But the move into photography ended up coming by chance because the gallery that I own now, under the previous owner, I was a contributing artist. So I'd right. work in there. Okay. And when I would go through to drop new work off with him, I'd often be boring away to him about how life sucked in my job and everything, the usual sort of stuff. And so anyway, he must have taken a lot of that in because when he decided to, his family circumstances changed quite quickly. I think his mother took ill or something and he had to move back to Manchester, basically. But I, I got a phone call out of nowhere from him basically saying do you want to take over running the shop and I thought he was joking at first to be honest but anyway he floated this idea to me and I thought about it and the more I thought about it I thought this makes actually a lot of sense because mm, okay. I, I don't like where I'm working I can basically as long as I've got enough faith in the quality of my work and I can sell it You've got a ready-made business there in a tourist town that gets an awful lot of footfall. So in that sense, it, it made a lot of sense and it just came at the, the perfect time for me. I was very fortunate in that sense in that just a lot of things had to align for me to, to do that. The only decision I had to make was really was could I get over the fact that there wasn't a lot of security in it? You know, if things did go tips up basically and I didn't sell enough work or whatever yeah, then yeah. I would have to you know revert to something else but um, I think I was just at a point in my life where I was just I, if that hadn't come up I'd have probably moved into another job somewhere else anyway um, yeah, but in I'm... terms of like the, the financial side of it you know I didn't really have any kind of insurance policy so okay, you know it's just a, 
leap of faith. So when you got started, how did you get over that thinking about, okay, I don't have a, a parachute on, I've just jumped out of the plane, what do I do now? I didn't, I guess part of my character is that I don't, I'm pretty good at not worrying about things that I can't control. Yeah. And for something like that, stress too much about that. I just I just got on with the task of just if I produce good quality work and I do it regularly enough, that should be enough to make this. The model of the business was already there. It was just a case of just yeah, continuing right. it. So in that sense, I didn't worry too much. But the kind of learning how to run, well, it's not just specific to photography. It's any self-employed business that there's Absolutely. no kind of manual for you to follow. You just, yeah. you know, you just get on with it and figure it out as you go along. And I think I'm still figuring that out, to be honest with you. I'm nearly six, six years down the line now. But, but yeah, there's no kind of manual or guide to it. You've just got to figure it out and... Uh, see what happens one of the things a lot of people that run their own business we've talked about previously is the wearing of all of the hats that you've got to wear you're the not only are you the photographer and producer of the work i'm not sure if you do your own printing or not but you could be your printer you could be your your, you're definitely your chief marketing officer you're the chief financial officer etc (laughs) etc How do you balance everything and how do you wear all the hats and what sort of percentage of time is business and admin versus getting out and uh, doing what you really love to do? I probably, I do, I need to improve on the marketing front. I've got probably a bit of an old school mentality and 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 it's maybe a bit naive in the modern world, to be honest, but... I desperately want just the work to do the talking for me. And sure, sure. if I can fit marketing and, and promotion and whatever around that, then I will. And I can do that now. But I think going forwards, the kind of the marketing and all of that. And YouTube's kind of part of that because it's very visual, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I need to, I, I probably need to dedicate more time to that. Both of the, the I guess the, the, the flip side to that is that I like to think the photography-focused approach that I have, um, that perhaps maybe some people in, in my position maybe don't do enough, is maybe one of my selling points. I don't know. But kind of a balancing act, really. I, I think there's definitely room for me to probably focus more on the marketing, but it's definitely a, a, a sort of task to, to juggle all them different things. I'm probably not the most organized person but i've had to i've had to learn it if, if you're not organized and you're running your own business then you, you're going to run into problems pretty quickly as i found out a few times over the years but yeah. Uh, but yeah it's tough i think for a lot of people who have designs on maybe going full-time with landscape photography or any photography it's there's a lot of that to it that i think people won't be aware of and and don't appreciate just how much time mm. goes into that what do you think is the most important thing you've learned through running the gallery and running the business as well because it's not just the gallery there's also the uh, the workshop oh, yeah. as well the gallery is an easy one actually the thing the, the thing that i've learned over the years which is 
overwhelmingly the most important thing is not to get too emotionally invested in your own work and yeah, right. understand that you need to you need to understand what your marketplace is. I I operate a gallery in a tourist town where probably 90, 95% of the people who come through the doors have no interest in landscape photography at all, other than they want to take a nice picture home with them. Yep. So they're not looking at photography in the same way we are. And the mistake I made starting out, which was an obvious one, and in hindsight, I should have clicked on too quicker was that the photography that you love to shoot personally doesn't always translate into sales it, it quite often doesn't yeah um, and you've got to you've got to let that go a little bit and mm -hmm. uh, if you ever if you ever end up coming into my gallery you'll probably see a lot of work that I don't actually put on social media a lot of the time because it's not stuff I personally like all that much but okay. I know it's going to I know it's going to sell yeah right. so that's a little but that's probably more specific to running a gallery on its own. There's many different ways you can be a full-time landscape photographer. Mine is based around the gallery. But yeah, that that's the, the overwhelming thing with the shop. With workshops and stuff, um, the biggest thing I've learned with those is that not everyone who comes on, I think you were referring to workshops specifically, um, yes. not everyone who comes on workshops is there for learning. And I made the mistake early on of thinking that everyone's just here to come and learn and they want to see your approach or they want to learn a particular type of an approach to shooting or whatever. But the reality is that, that quite often people just want to come to a place, be shown some nice locations, take some pictures and, and go home, which I yeah. find completely alien, to be honest, because I, yeah, I, much, I'm, prefer, I'm... I much prefer having clients who, who come to learn because that's why you're doing it. But yeah, but yeah I've, had, I've, I've had many workshops over the years where people literally just want to be shown some nice places and, and just left to their own devices a little bit. Yeah. So now when I do workshops, I'll always make a point either through consultation emails or when I speak to them in person is really ask them, what do you want to get out, get out of the day? Because it, you'll get a lot of people with a funny look on their face sometimes and they'll sort of look at you and go, oh, I'm here to learn. And I'm like, yeah, but I actually want to check that because yeah. I don't want to assume that and then take you on a really intensive learning day and find that the guy only wanted to just go and shoot some nice pretty It's also worthwhile and... knowing what they want to learn because they may yeah. be an intermediate or even an advanced shooter and what they're looking for is advice on composition or something like that, whereas yeah. somebody that's a beginner is obviously going to want uh, to start at the very beginning of, okay, how am I working my camera and making sure that that yeah. bit works before I get into the less technical, more artistic side of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the most fun I have on workshops is definitely with beginners because uh, one thing that you learn over the years is that you should never be closed off to different approaches i've seen some absolute rank beginners who they'll see something that you haven't seen exactly go, mm. yep. you yeah. know what i mean i, I don't think about it that way and, and that's when you see that it's absolutely brilliant so yeah i really enjoy it i love learning from people that i'm trying to teach something to <laughs> yeah that's it, but it, it's it. 
there's a technical side to photography that most you have to learn, but yep. it's artistic. It's a it's it's a collaborative thing often, and yeah, if you can get a bit of that going both ways, then great. Very much. You mentioned the I don't I don't want to call it an issue, but that conflict between the stuff you like shooting versus the stuff you know is going to sell. How do you maintain that sort of creative vision whilst also catering to those more commercial side of things? Are you surprised by some of the images that sell commercially versus the uh, the, the ones that don't? I'm less surprised now. I think people are, after a while, I mean, as I said, I've been doing this in that shop now for nearly six years. And yeah, people, most people who are invested in landscape photography are fairly easy to understand in that respect. But for my own, for my own sanity, really, I kind of way I, I like to try when I go out shooting to either have a plan to go out and shoot specifically stuff for the gallery, or I'm just going out to to shoot for myself. Yeah, sure. I find if I find if I don't separate them and I end up on a shoot where the conditions are, are really good, and then I'm thinking, oh, I actually really need to be thinking about getting a shot for the gallery. I, I end up a, with a little bit of cluttered thinking, so mm, okay. I try where I can to separate the two. A good example is the sort of shooting I've been doing recently where it's very winter-based and cold images and stuff with ice and snow and all that sort of thing. Those images traditionally don't sell well. So I just make my peace with that. And knowing when I go out, I don't have any pressure of shooting with a commercial kind of head on. Yeah, and right. I can be a lot more responsive to what I'm shooting. Whereas if it's stuff that I know I'm going to go out and shoot for the gallery, that's when we're talking about planning and stuff before. That's where I do have a more sort of planned, structured approach because I know that I just need to get this one particular shot because mm. I know it's going to sell. Yeah, right. Uh, so I just try and I just try and when I go out, I just try and separate the two. Basically, I don't try and let them overlap too much. The best thing is when you get an image that you love yourself and it sells. That's the that's oh, the absolutely. That's a bonus. Yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. But what I've found over the years is that happens pretty infrequently to be honest and you've just got to make your peace with that and just be okay with it i think yeah fair enough fair enough one of the things a lot of landscape photographers in particular but photographers in general struggle with is pricing how do you price your work do you have a formula that you work to or is it more put a, a finger up in the air and see which way the winds blow i'd say more formula based it's tri this is where it goes back to really understanding your market. Yeah. For where, for where I, I guess I would class myself and the level I'm at, I really don't price. I'd say I don't. It's a conscious decision. But I don't price my work at the same rate as, say, people I would consider peers, um, just simply because that's not the market I'm selling to. Uh, if you're a... This is probably something that, you know, a lot of land, landscape photographers aren't really that uh, affected by because they're not running a gallery. But if I wasn't running a gallery, I'd be pricing my work far higher. 
um, in line with probably where it should be. But mm. the market that I'm selling to, as I say, don't have any kind of interest in landscape photography. They, they don't know what elite level photography is versus something. They, they're buying a memory. Buy. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't. They, the level of appreciation and, and it, it just isn't there. And that's yeah. totally fine. So I have to really heavily factor that in and the pricing of my work if i'm being brutally honest is, is far lower than it should be but i know that if i went in and started pricing at the rate that i think it should be alongside my peers i wouldn't sell anything because people who aren't invested in landscape photography in my experience aren't willing to pay those prices and i don't know if that's a, a cult what i've noticed over the years and this is as I say, specific to galleries, is that in the UK, I feel there's a really there's a real underappreciation of landscape photography. I get a lot of American customers coming in the shop each summer, and they can't believe how low the prices are for some of this stuff. They'll happily pay a lot more money over there, whereas over yeah. here in the UK, people look down the nose a little bit at photography, and that's where. A lot of landscape photographers, they, they, because they're not exposed to that direct feedback from Joe Blogs on the street, yeah, they look at their own work in a bubble a little bit. And yeah. whereas I'm seeing the actual reality of what people actually think of landscape photography a lot of the time, so mm-hmm. I have to factor that in heavily in my pricing. But I mean, as a the when I first started out, I think I'd done a bit of research into some of this, and they always say roughly you should look to i think it's either triple or quadruple whatever your unit costs are basically that's a fairly rough method to price i don't go off that specifically but i think when i started i used that as a base and i just went from there but there's definitely for me within the marketplace that i'm selling in like a a ceiling that uh, unfortunately is a a bit of a negative of running a gallery in a tourist town is that you're always going to be a little bit hamstrung by the location and the, the kind of your customers. Yeah, who's, who's passing through, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I'm really interested in is places that you keep getting called back to. Is there anything in your local area or, or could be elsewhere that you've got unfinished business with you just keep going back to that location for a reason and what is that reason is the the question when i started landscape photography i really heavily photographed an area called wasdale and eskdale which are two neighboring valleys in the lake district and they're very close to where i live they're only about sort of 10, 15 minute drive, but they're really quite spectacular landscapes. So the, the mm. Lake District, you've been yourself to the Lake District and it's, you know, they're not the biggest mountains by any stretch, but the Wasdale and Estale area is more like what you'll see in, say, the Scotch Highlands. It's a bit more rugged and a bit more yeah, right. dramatic. And I really, when I started, focused heavily on that area, firstly, because it was close to home, but secondly, because even though it's a spectacular landscape it's actually quite i wouldn't say yeah it's it's under photographed i would say for 
visiting photographers because they, when they when they come to the Lake District, they tend to focus on some of the, the more popular places. So I really learned what I was doing shooting that area, which was fantastic for me because I had this amazing place close to home, but also a lot of photographers weren't photographing it. So it was quite yeah. easy. Oh. It was quite easy for me getting started to almost mark myself out a little bit uh, from other photographers because I was producing a lot of unique work um, that a lot of people probably haven't seen before. Um, the problem I have with that area now, though, is that because I've obviously got this gallery, when I opened the gallery, I had to then cater a lot of my work to the immediate area around the shop. Yep. So I've stepped away from shooting that area, even though it's only 10 minutes from my house, because it doesn't sell as well in the shop. But now, what we now, five, six years on, I feel like I've built enough of a portfolio around that area around the gallery in the sort of Keswick Derwent water area that I can go back to shooting my local area a bit more now. So that kind of area, I'm really motivated over the next sort of 18 months because I've got a, a book in the pipeline as well. And I want to get a few more images for the book from that area. Cause a lot of my best stuff, even though I really enjoy still looking at it and really proud of shooting those images, they were, they were shot quite a few years ago now. Yeah. So I do feel that local area immediately to me around Wasdale and, and Eskdale is an area I've got a bit of unfinished business with. Yeah. So yeah, probably there. Do you think, the areas that you do shoot has influenced how you shoot in any way? Yeah. That area initially, because it's a very rugged landscape and it's quite it's actually quite close to the coast. So you're you're only ten minutes drive from the sea there. So it's very it's very influenced by the coastal weather that comes in and then hits the mountains and it's got its own little sort of microclimate a little bit. So my I was very drawn initially to shooting more changeable weather, uh, dare I say miserable weather, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the challenge of trying to create a unique images in what you would normally class as kind of subpar conditions because yeah. ultimately that's – not just the Lake District, but most places, is that the reality is 90% of the time you, you are going to get suboptimal conditions. It's what you can do with them that kind of will mark you out. So, yeah, I my I guess my sort of preferred style or conditions to shoot in would, would definitely influence by the area immediately around the shop, the sort of Derwent water area around Keswick. Yep. It's a much prettier landscape. It's a lot gentler. It requires a different approach. It suits more serene type imagery, which are nice, but they don't do an awful lot for me. Um, so going back to what we're saying about shooting for the gallery and shooting for yourself, when I shoot that area, I'm often shooting images that often don't resonate with me an awful lot, to be honest. Yeah. I much prefer being out in the sort of mucky, changeable stormy weather that's this yeah. to home. which most people don't want to buy and stick on their wall no exactly exactly yeah i'd say if i had to guess probably of my top 
what I'd class as like the sort of top 10 images I've ever taken, I'd say probably only one of them sells in any great number. And most of the the best work I've produced over the past sort of two or three years, hardly any of it sells. I I don't got to the point now, to be honest with you, that I'm not probably painting a positive picture of selling (laughs) work in a gallery, but, but I don't even attempt putting it on the walls now, which is a shame because I just know that it's not going to sell to that that market. I, I can, I have them on the website, obviously, and people can order through that. But, but yeah, two very different things. Yeah, absolutely. What's your most memorable experience while out shooting? Most memorable, I'd say I took a shot uh, of some fell ponies, wild ponies. I think they're wild ponies up on. Keep calling them fells. We'll call fells around here, but mountains. On a place called Great Mel Fell in the Lake mm-hmm. District, which is a, an area that's at fairly high elevation. It's five, six hundred meters up, and it's very susceptible to snow. It's a bit of a my, actually my, my last video that I've just put out is from there, but it's very susceptible to snow. And I went up there almost by chance, a little bit to be honest, because I was on my way to the printers to pick up a big acrylic print. And as I was driving over there, there was a lot of snow coming down. I thought, well, I'm passing Great Mel Fell. I'll just chance it and see what happens, basically. Yeah. Anyway, I went up there in the snow and I timed it absolutely perfectly because I got the car in just before the really heavily, heavy snow came down. And then when I got up onto the fell, it was you know really coming down the snow. And uh, anyway, I got this shot of these fell ponies that um, I think there's a group of maybe six or seven of them. And uh, they're very photogenic, pure white, these ponies. And uh, they tend to go around in groups of two or three, but rarely will you see them all together. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I got this shot of them all huddled under this set of trees, probably more like a, a wildlife picture, than a landscape traditionally. But anyway, I got this picture of them all huddled under the trees, taking shelter from the blizzard. And yeah, yes, that's what I was saying before about just reacting to what's in front of you. I'm not precious about whether it's a landscape or a, I don't take pictures of of animals that often, but if they work in a picture, then, you know, happy to shoot. Yeah, anyway, I got this really, I guess it's a unique picture of these ponies aligned up underneath the trees taking shelter from the blizzard and i must have sat there for about i don't know 45 minutes an hour waiting for them to kind of line up properly because every time you'll get two or three of them stood apart from each other that you get the other two kind of hiding yeah yeah, so i thought if if i can just get them all spaced out evenly this will make a good shot so Anyway, the, the experience of taking that, I mean, whether I got a picture or not, um, you know, that'll, that will live long in the memory. Just the kind of, I'm not one for going in, for getting all arty-farty about stuff, but but yeah, that moment of just total peace and, I guess, tranquility or whatever you want to call it was something else. And it was the upside to doing YouTube now is that those moments you can get them on video and you've got a record of them. So I, I yeah. did a video on that. It was back in February 21, I think. Yeah, um, I, I think I saw it a while back. Yeah, yeah. so it's on there and I can 
I can go back and look at it in future. When I'm too old and rickety to do any of this anymore, I'll have that memory now and rewatch it. So yeah, pro- probably that, I would say. Although I've got a video out next week where we had some conditions up in, in Assint in northern Scotland mm-hmm. where the conditions ran that pretty pretty close, to be honest. The light was just like nothing I've seen before, to be honest. And it's very hard to get that across in video sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, that, but, yeah, probably that one, I would say. Yeah, sounds wonderful. What about horror stories? Have you had any dramas? Horror stories? <laughs> okay, I'll try and... I wasn't going to say this, but I don't think the guy who's who's involved in in this would be watching this. I I had one interesting workshop once, which I wouldn't say a nightmare, but it was just absolutely bizarre. <laughs> I, I had a workshop with a guy where he'd basically got me booked to take him to set locations a bit like what we're saying about he wasn't there for the learning he was just there for just wanting to be taken to some nice places so anyway it was him and his partner and he was really specific about wanting to go to this specific location i was like yeah it's no problem i'll I'll take you there anyway i goes to this location and there's another it's quite a popular location this i won't say which one but there was another photographer there and this photographer had actually recognized me from doing these uh, YouTube videos. So it's always a bit weird now, but he says, I says, hi, how are you doing? I'll watch your videos. Says, oh, great. Cheers, mate. How are you doing? Anyway, so I got, I got chatting to this guy and I've got these two on the workshop with me. And he says, he says, oh, you're doing a workshop. I said, yeah, yeah I would just would don't want to get in your way or anything. And he was like, oh, no, because it's quite a tight space, this location yeah. where you're shooting at. So anyway, I, I'm having a chat to this guy and my two workshop clients are just sort of getting set up and everything. And anyway, the, it, there were a couple and this this one guy is working on a composition of, we're talking through it and this, that and the other. And he looks to me and he says, he says, he says, this is where the magic happens. And I went, I thought, what? <laughs> Little did I know, his partner had gone off into the trees. It's the most bizarre thing. Partner had gone off into the trees, and she started stripping off. Okay. And I was like, I was thinking, what? And he's going, yes, this is where they're. And I'm like, what on earth have I got myself into here? His, his, his partner had gone off into the trees, started stripping off. She comes out from behind these trees and like this, what? could only be described as lingerie, basically. It was like a sort of nightgown lingerie type. Anyway, so she comes out and she starts clambering across these, like, mossy rocks. They're quite slippy. Yeah. She starts clambering out. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? This guy had booked me for a half day just so he could be taken to this location so he could do his own impromptu glamour shoot or something <laughs> so he's and then of course i've got the other complication of this other guy who's already here yeah. and obviously you know what it's you know what it's like in that um if someone's there first you you don't want to encroach on their space absolutely you, you wait it's, it's good etiquette to let them finish before you move in or anything yeah. like that so, 
this other guy who I've been having a nice conversation with about doing the YouTube videos and stuff. And he looks at me and he's got this look on his face of, what kind of workshop are you running in? Yeah, is this what only workshops are like, Stuart? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of mortified. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? So I, I looks to the other guy while this, so the client is, is setting up this composition. And I looks at the other guy and I sort of, I go to him and I sort of whisper to him, I'm like, I have nothing to do with <laughs> I have no idea. This. So I said, because yeah, like you say, he's looking at me thinking, what kind of workshops does he run? So anyway, so, so they went off doing this like basically impromptu glamour shoot. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea about this at all. So anyway, this guy completely ran through this like it was the most normal thing in the world. And he just, he didn't seem to have any concept of how like inappropriate it was or, or anything. Yeah. It was just, oh, this is what we do. So anyway, as I'm walk, walking back away from it, I, it's probably stopped short of saying I lost my temper with him, but I had to have a pretty stern word with him. And I, I mm. said, look... I said, I didn't appreciate that. And he was like, what, what do you mean? I said, I said, I don't run workshops like that. If you told me you were going to do that, I'd have said no immediately. But also, I said, you had another person there that you weren't considering. I said, you probably completely spoiled his enjoyment of the shoot. And it was all, I look back at it and think, oh, it was a, a funny thing, but uh, it wasn't that pleasant at the time, to be honest. It was all yeah, a bit weird. Imagine. Up and, yeah, really awkward, yeah, and, and certainly not something I would have agreed to. So up until I'm that definitely point, gonna I don't think I'd... with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so no, yeah, I don't up, think, up I don't think that... my wife would uh, be climbing out on the rocks. So. <laughs> no, I felt sorry for this woman a little bit because she almost looked like she'd been almost coerced into it a little bit, which is yeah. a bit... Uh, made it even weirder because I looked at it and thought she's not really comfortable with this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a very bizarre situation to be honest. Wow. And up until that, yeah, up up until that point, I don't think I'd really had any sort of nightmares or anything in my photography. But that one stands out a mile. That, from, that's definitely uh, a beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so probably that. So, what has the practice of photography taught you about nature? Yeah. That's a bloody difficult question. What's it taught me? From my own perspective, it's taught me an awful lot about patience. Um, but nature, it's. I think if you're not invested in photography and you, you've you've no interest in it, for years I would have just. I played an awful lot of golf in my life, and I, I'm very fortunate. I've got back into playing golf now, actually, and been very fortunate in playing on a golf course that's very photogenic and there's some beautiful landscapes around mm -hmm. it. And I would have spent so much time on that golf course with my eyes closed, not to what's around me and not taking any of it in it. And it yeah, can just yeah. completely, it, it can completely pass you by. And until taking up photography, that was definitely the case for me. I just no idea about what nature's capable of. And some of the things I saw in, in Scotland last week, with the conditions, it just, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned is it just never ceases to surprise you. You feel like even doing what I do now, being out constantly in it, you feel, you get to a point sometimes where you feel like you've almost seen it all. 
which is a, not a good place to be, obviously, and I certainly don't think that. But you yeah. can sometimes feel like you're doing things on repeat a little bit. But every now and again, something like the conditions that we had in Scotland last week, the, just the, the quality of the light, and there's, it, it's clear in the video, but the, we had a two, two or three-day period there where it was almost like, I don't shoot infrared, but it was almost like walking into a landscape that had just had an infrared filter put across yeah, it. Wow. And just the most bizarre colour palette that I've ever seen. And uh, I just just spent two two or three days just open mouth it, and it, it it was a good reminder that it never ceases to amaze you there's always something changing with it i guess that's the biggest thing for me is that it's always changing there's always something different to see i think awesome have you ever hit a creative wall and or a creative block and if so how did you handle it and have you got any strategies or tips for people that get into that creative rut where they just don't feel it anymore yeah i think so i think i've definitely had that a few times i'm pretty fortunate in that i don't even though i do it for a living now i don't get too bogged down in you'll see a lot of photographers who have this kind of almost compulsion to just be shooting all the time. Yeah. I've ne I'm fortunate in that I've never really had that. I'm quite happy to put the camera down and just take a break if I need to. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling particularly inspired. I'll there's always another day, there's always another sunrise. The, having I guess having a healthy perspective helps. I think sometimes it's hard to get that perspective. And that only really comes with experience, I think. Um, yeah. So that that's definitely helped. But yeah, taking taking regular breaks, and also just don't be frightened to. It's an easy thing to say, be inspired by other people. But you you'll get a lot of photographers who are quite inward looking in that they they don't seek out other types of photography to to take in. I'll pick up a book, go to an exhibition, anything to get freshen it up. I get a huge amount of inspiration and, and happiness from looking at other people's work and seeing how diverse it is. We're fortunate now, we live in an age with social media that you, there's always inspiration out there, I think. I think you've just got to be open and receptive to it. So, yeah, I, I kind of take quite a relaxed approach with it, to be honest. I, I think... I think it's easy sometimes to get a bit tunnel vision with your photography and, and not be open to some of those things. Yeah, healthy dose of perspective and I think taking the odd break now and again. And it'll just, it should come to you. You shouldn't have to fight it too much, I think. I always feel like I do my best photography when I, when I let it come to me rather than the other way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Forcing it, I don't think, helps get through the block in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Better off uh, waiting until the, the feeling's there and off you go. Yeah, exactly. What do you see as the future of photography and what do you see as its biggest challenge facing photographers right now? There's an awful lot of chatter at the minute, isn't there, about AI. I'm less worried about that, I think, than a lot of people I see. I think the biggest challenge for photography 
is going to be continuing to show its value and merit and there's ways you can do that i think doing things like youtube certainly helps in being able to i don't know how to put it but prove that it's real almost uh, i think the ai thing isn't that big of a, a deal to landscape photography I, I think it's gonna have quite a dramatic effect on other genres of photography. yeah totally you know, agree product photography stuff like that that's a bit more a bit more staged and easy to replicate. For people who like landscape photography, I, I don't think AI is going to be all that big of a threat to it. What was the other part of your question? To the oh, where, where do you see the future yeah. of photography going? It's a tough one at the minute because as someone who kind of works at the sharp end of it with what I'm seeing with people's attitudes towards photography, it, it is, without wanting to sound too negative, it, it is diminishing a little bit in value photography. You, you've only got to look at how tech is moving and making everything easier to produce these images. But I don't worry about a lot of that too much. I think photography for years has been built very much on a framework of it being a technical exercise. And there was a lot of barriers to people producing photography because of those technical things. The days of shooting film and everything, you had to have resources and money to buy those things before you could even get a ticket to do in photography, whereas all that's been removed now. And I think for a lot of people who are focused on the technical aspects of it, they're going to probably struggle because those barriers to creativity have gone. It is, it should now be just about taking the pictures. The, the technical stuff to a large extent has been removed. And I actually don't mind that. I think what will happen is that the really top-notch creative work will rise. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of the mundane stuff that pretty much everyone can now produce because the technical barriers have been removed. I think a lot of that will fall by the wayside, but that will be, I think, a, a good thing in the long run because it will push people to produce better work. There's so many people now doing it and doing it to a high standard that uh, I don't think that can be a bad thing, really. But, yeah, photography as a whole, I think it's, it's a pretty big subject, but... It's a struggle, I think, to keep proving its value to a more casual audience. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you there. And what do you like to do when you're not out shooting? I said I used to play a lot of golf. I stopped playing golf round about the time that I actually got into the photography because part of the reason I stopped was through the issues with my son and his autism in the it took up an awful lot of time in the early years with him. His, his needs are quite complex. And um, as he's got, gotten a bit older now and things are getting a little easier on that front, I've only in the last few months actually gone back to playing golf now. So I'm really looking forward to the uh, the summer over here and getting back into that. So no. from my photography, a lot of landscape photographers tend to put the camera down a bit in the summer anyway. Yeah. And, but I'll be really into the golf so uh, I don't think a lot of photography will be getting done uh, during that time yeah uh, golf I would say in the immediate future but just just the usual stuff to be honest I don't uh, as I said I don't mind putting the camera down every now and again and I've got a, a young family here and plenty to keep me occupied um, yeah just the, just the usual stuff fantastic 
Are there any photographers that you should think I should be talking to on the podcast? Oh, knowing that he likes talking, <laughs> I'd say Mark. I probably, if you haven't done him, I'd say Mark Littlejohn. I haven't, I haven't had Mark on. No, have you had? A, I don't know if anyone suggested him to you or not, but I yeah, yes, Mark, I, I believe somebody did a few episodes ago. Yeah, Mark. I run workshop uh, tours with Mark, and he's absolutely fantastic photographer. But he's also got a, a very kind of unique kind of take on photography and and his own approach and stuff. Where he loves he loves a chat. I'd say probably Mark off the top of my head. I'm trying to think who else. There's so many, isn't there? But he'd be a good one, I think. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. I've got one more question for you, and for many yeah. of my listeners, it's the most important one I ask. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, I don't get that at all. But I think my missus likes pineapple on pizza, but, oh, God, no, absolutely not, no. No, no Hawaiian for Stuart then. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Fair enough. All right, it's been wonderful catching up with you tonight or today, your time. Where can people find your work? So the easiest place these days is probably if you go on YouTube and just search Stuart McGlennon. I'm on there. I've got a channel. My website is lensdistrict.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my gallery in Keswick's called Lens District Gallery. So yeah, lensdistrict.com. If you see me on Instagram, I'm just Stuart McGlennon on Instagram. I post quite a lot on Twitter as well, actually. If you're a, if Twitter's a bit of a funny one because a lot of, I, I talk to quite a few landscape photographers who don't actually use Twitter that much. It's called yeah. X now, isn't it? But, um, but certainly in the UK anyway, for a long time, there was quite a, a thriving sort of community of landscape photographers on X. Um, so yeah, I'm quite active on there. Like uh, I think the handles at Lens District on there as well. So um, perfect. All right, thanks very much, uh, Stuart. Great chatting to you. Yeah, no worries, mate. Enjoyed it. Lovely. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests and upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinbergphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, threads and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.